So listen, today um, it's, it, it is going to be a little heavy, but it's going to be good. Um, so let's start by going over what we know. All right, we've been saying for weeks, and say it with me, that we are... Oh, not yet, not yet. Wait for the slides. That's good. I'm excited that you guys know how it goes, but I'll wait for the slides. We are known because... We are known because God has searched us. God has done the work. God knows us. Now we are not because of anything we've done, simply because God has chosen to love us. We also know that and not because we deserve such sacrifice. Quite the opposite is true. But we are worth dying for because Jesus decided we are. And he didn't just say it, he did something about it. So we've been saying this for weeks and we know this is true, but it doesn't always feel like it, does it? So we need to remember that we are made in the image of God. That's right, Brian. And we are made in the image of God to be God's representatives here on earth, to be shepherd kings in the midst of God's creation. But the reality is we are also broken. We are broken images living in a world that is now full of chaos and confusion because that image was broken by sin. So we're gonna wrestle today with some ideas and some images that I think are gonna help us see how God is taking that broken image, putting it back together, even now. And we're gonna start with Romans 12. So Romans 12 begins with, therefore. Sabrina told you last week, when a passage begins with, therefore, you ask, What is it there for? Now, here's the problem. This particular therefore, Paul uses it to transition into the final section of Romans. The final section of his final letter. That means that this therefore is to remind you of everything that came before. And I mean everything. Not just Romans 1 through 11. Everything that came before from Genesis through the Gospels through the rest of his letters. So get comfortable. We're going to be here for a while. (laughs) We don't have that kind of time, but listen to Romans 12. I'm just going to read the first two verses and listen to it in light of the creation and the fall and the Gospels. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would speak to our heart and mind today. That as you are reforming those broken images that you would show us the part that you are doing and the part that we play in response. That you would help us see us as we are and also help us see who you've created us to be, who you're calling us to be. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So this week we're gonna focus on verse two. We're calling it the reformation of our hearts and our minds. 
In, in scripture, the heart and mind, basically it's the same thing. They didn't really have a concept of the brain, so decisions, your desires, your emotions, they thought it all took place in the heart. So when you see heart and mind in scripture, you just think of the same thing. The next week, we're gonna look at the reformation of our bodies. Then we're gonna look at the reformation of our spirit, heart, mind, body, spirit. That is what makes us human. That's the image that God created us. That's what's broken. That's what's being reformed for those who are in Christ. So there are a couple ways that we can visualize and think about this that I think might be helpful. Uh, the first one is really appealing. It's <laughs> this <laughs> time lapse of fruit rotting over time. <laughs> Yeah, so this is what sin has done to all of God's creation. And think about it. Cut off from the vine, over time, the fruit goes from good to bad, to maybe even sickening, eventually to death and decay. The image of God in us broken, dying, slow decay, rotting away. But now replace that image with this one the image of a flower starting wrapped up in itself, but then slowly over time opening up to reveal its beauty. And as long as it remains connected to that vine, it'll open up, it'll flower. That means now there's the possibility of reproduction, the possibility of fruitfulness. These are visual demonstrations of how destructive sin is and how the gospel takes what is rotten and dead and brings it back to life. That's one image. Another one, last week, Sabrina um, shared a phrase first used by Martin Luther, 1515, 1516. And she explained last week that this Latin phrase, incurvatus in se, it simply means to be turned inward upon oneself. That humanity is turned inward upon itself and that's what causes chaos and frustration, death and decay, the rotting fruit. But remember, the gospel takes what is dead and brings it back to life. We were discussing this at last month's session meeting and one of our elders, Carissa Bush, she reminded us of a book by C.S. Lewis. It's part of his space trilogy, the first book. It's called Out of the Silent Planet. And in that book, there's a doctor who's kidnapped and he's taken from Earth to another planet called Malachandra. And Malachandra is filled with these creatures who are described as being upright and pure. That world itself is unfallen and everything lives together in harmony. And when the beings on Malachandra, when they see these humans, they refer to them as being bent. And not just physically, but spiritually bent. They say it seems as if they're tainted by a bent will. They're turned in upon themselves. So let me show you why this matters. Um, and I'm only gonna be able to preach this sermon for like five more years or so, but um, okay, so like. <laughs> okay, so turned in on myself. What is it that I see? Only, only myself. It's the first thing my eyes see. Myself. When I'm turned inward upon myself, I'm not only the first thing that I see, but I become the filter. I become the lens through which I see the world, through which I understand the world, through which I interact with the world. I, me, my. 
Like, do you want to know why there's so much brokenness in the world? Because the humans are turned inward upon themselves. And bent humans become convinced, because that's all they see, they become convinced that they're the center of the universe, the center of their own universe, which convinces them that they can just be kings over their own kingdoms, which convinces them that it makes sense to take upon themselves the authority to define what is good and what is bad, what's right and what is wrong. Because bent humans only see themselves first, which means they see themselves as first. Eventually see ourselves as gods. This is what the creator was trying to prevent in the garden. He's saying to the man and the woman, don't turn away. Like you were made in my image, so reflect it. Remain upright. Look at me. Eyes on me. Don't turn away. And don't turn inward. Because that's not where you'll find peace. But they did, right? They turned inward and we know the results of that turn all too well. We know it intimately because we have all turned away. We all have turned inward upon ourselves. All have fallen short of the glory of God because of sin. It's just like that story of Narcissus that Beth told. He's tempted to stare into that clear pool of water and he saw his reflection for the first time and his love for his own reflection leads to his own demise. But there's good news. We are not doomed to the fate of narcissism because look at what happens when I stand upright. When I stand upright now, what is it that I see? When I begin to turn away from myself, when I am upright and facing out, what do I see? Yeah, everything, right? What is no longer the first thing I see? What is no longer the filter or the lens through which I see and understand the world? Actually, what's the only thing that now I can no longer see? And now I'm free to look up to the heavens that God has placed above my head. I'm free to look at the ground that he's put beneath my feet. I'm free to look out at you and instead of I, me, mine, I can consider you and yours. I can look around at all the possibilities that God has laid out for me in creation. And many of you know Emily Omania. She's a member of our team. She's standing at the door right there. Actually, you can wave to Emily. Yeah, she, she loves her church and we know that. Uh, you might not know Emily is a new seminary student. Um, and uh, over this past week, she was really helping me work through some of these images. And while we were talking, she shared with me her new favorite name for God. And it comes from Psalm 3. Psalm 3, verse 3, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head. Her new favorite name for God is the lifter of my head. This is what God does. This is what the gospel does. Lifts our heads, taking beings that are turned inward upon themselves and making them upright again. Making us human again. He will lift our heads so that we can make that turn from the inside out. So we know all too well what it means to be in curvatus in se, turned in on ourselves, but there's another Latin phrase, this theological concept called the capax day, which you may not be familiar with, but it's the capacity of God. And what it describes is the human capacity or the capability within us to know and experience and have a relationship with God. 
This is from Romans 1. It says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. This is what we call common grace. Within every human, there's a spark. There's a remembrance. Because we are made in the image of God and there's something written on our DNA that knows him. We are capable We have the capacity to enter into a relationship with him again because of what he's done. The life and ministry, the death and resurrection of Jesus opened that door. And that's the only door in. The Holy Spirit is then embodied in those who walk through that door of grace. And in the process of piecing back together a broken image can begin. So we have the capacity to move from that fetal position where all I see is me to the upright position where I'm the only thing that I cannot see. But the truth is, in this life, we will never stand fully upright. That's what Sabrina talked about last week. Even those who are in Christ, Paul himself wrote about this in the form of a lament in in Romans 7. We are walking through life Oh my gosh, it's exhausting. <laughs> Am I right? And then the flower again. This back and forth, this rotting and decay, and then coming to life, it is exhausting. We aren't stuck. And we find ourselves more upright at times than others but we will struggle until the very end to see past ourselves so that we can love Jesus and love our neighbors as ourselves. But as we were talking about this as a team, I mean, this is beautiful. Um, On the day when we are made new, fully and completely, when we are finally standing upright once and for all, fully and finally unbent, Y'all, who is it that we will see? Face to face. What was once a matter of faith is now a matter of fact. Knowing him fully, even as we are fully known now. Loving him fully, even as we are fully loved now. Imaging him completely as we stand in his presence. But what I think is just the beautiful irony of this is that as soon as we are made new, as soon as we are fully upright, as soon as we see our Lord and Savior face to face, what are we gonna do? We're gonna fall to our knees in worship. Because only when we are fully upright do we understand that he is God and I am not. That's good news. The question is, what does this kind of transformation actually look like? Like even right now, how do we do this? This is from Colossians 3. Paul writes this, he says, and think of the imagery. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So put to death whatever belongs to that earthly nature, 
sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And then in verse 8, but now you must also rid yourself of things like this, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Take off your old self and put the new self on. You were turned inward upon yourself, now stand up. And Paul uses really strong language in this chapter. He says in verse three, for you died. And then in verse five, so put to death whatever belongs to that earthly nature. And he uses strong language because this is really important. This is where the gospel succeeds when religion always fails. N.T. Wright says it like this. He says this about religion. He says, religion puts the wild animals of lust and hatred into cages but there they remain, alive and dangerous, a constant threat to their captor. Paul's solution is more drastic. Those wild animals are to be killed. Because you have died to your old self, the things of the old way have to die too. And the old method of just turning to religion and its laws, all that does is address the symptoms. The gospel puts the old self to death. It goes for the roots and then creates new life in its place. Paul is arguing that those who are in Christ in a way have already risen with him. Like we are still slightly bent, but we are no longer fully turned in upon ourselves. That person is gone. And because of that, he goes on in Colossians 3 and verse 12 to say this. He's describing the unbent life. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. That's so important. Did he just say God will clothe you? He says clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if you have any grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And remember to be thankful. All right, so here's the problem with scriptures like this. Like if we're honest, we can read that. And honestly, uh, the cynical side in me says, okay, Paul, super helpful. Um, so I'm just supposed to stop being a jerk and start being like Jesus. No problem, right? Easy. <laughs> okay, how? How do we do this? I mentioned this a couple week, weeks ago, but the legendary Beatles, they're both confused and they're correct, right? They release a song, help, I need somebody. Yeah, you, they, they did it at 9.32. You can't stop yourself, can you? You gotta sing. Yeah. But then they had another song, We Can Work It Out. You didn't want to try that one? It's a little high for you? Okay, yeah. Somebody texted me after the 9.30 service. They said, yeah, we all need help, and we also need to figure out how to work it out because we're stuck together in a yellow submarine. <laughs> so... Okay, but how do we do this? Is it help or is it we can work it out? Which is it? 
Yeah, I mean, I think for the purposes of the point I'm trying to make, the answer is yes. Like, it's both. I mean, of course, the Spirit is doing that work in us, sanctifying us, transforming us as the Spirit unbends us and makes us upright. And that work results in the fruit that we read about in Galatians 5. By the power of the Spirit, we become more loving and peaceful and patient and kind and so on. That's the work the Spirit is doing in us, help. But I think Paul is saying throughout much of his letters that we can also work it out, that we play a part in this. There is an obedient response. There's a partnership with the Spirit. And he tells us how. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness. Stop conforming to the world around you. Be transformed by renewing your mind. This is how, from Philippians 4, he says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Don't hear, don't hear this as platitude scripture. Hear this, listen to it new. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. This is how. We start by turning to scripture. And when we do, we find out that Paul is not giving us religion, he's giving us the gospel, good news. And he's also giving us some simple decisive steps. He's saying start by rejoicing. Rejoice, remember Celebrate in the Lord. That is why we gather for worship, to remember that the Lord is near and to celebrate. And not ecstatic, not dull either, but gentle celebration so that the world around us can see how beautiful it is. Then the next step, he says, get rid of anxiety. <laughs> Helpful, right? But he tells us how, by doing what? Pray. Plead with God. But remember to give thanks for the ways that God has pulled you through the anxieties of the, path, of the past. Like this is the path to true peace. That's a peace that you can't explain. He describes that peace like a guard who's watching over a tower. He has walked you through the anxieties of the past and he's gonna protect you from the anxieties of the future. But you gotta turn to him. And then the last thing he says to do he says, think deeply about certain things. Things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, anything excellent or praiseworthy. And he Wright says this, he says, how are you gonna celebrate the goodness of God if you're feeding your mind on the places that humans have made ugly? Like if I tell you not to think about a purple elephant, right? How do you stop? The only way you stop is by capturing that thought and replacing it with something new. It is so tempting. It is so tempting to focus on the world and lose sight of the kingdom. 
It is so tempting to turn inward and forget to look up, out and around at the beauty and possibility that God has set before us. It is so easy to get stuck looking down into that still water and stare at our own reflection. In 2015, the New Yorker magazine, they published like a modern take on this image. I think it's a modern take. It's not us that we're staring at. It's a device in our hands. Maybe with a lot of pictures of us in it. (laughs) But if it's not showing us ourselves, what is it showing us? Like I know that I sound like a broken record about this recently, but I'm telling you, all media, social, 24-hour news, I don't care what it is, and I don't care what side it's coming from, All media benefits from filling our mind with noise that takes our peace and turns it into anxiety. It all profits on things that are untrue, unholy, unjust, impure, ugly, vicious, and blameworthy. That is what the world is pouring into us 24-7. Resist it. Capture those thoughts. Be decisive and replace them. Replace that profit-driven nonsense with what is true and noble and right and pure. The Spirit of God wants to reform our hearts and our minds. That's the work that the Spirit is doing. But we play a part. And it's called repentance. Changing our hearts and minds, unbending our will back toward His And to do that, we've got to think deeply about not things that are partially true, but what is wholly true, what is noble and right and pure and just and lovely. In your relationship with Jesus, you're being invited to participate in unbending yourself. And we do that through repentance. The Hebrew word for repentance, I've said this a bunch of times, but the Hebrew word for repentance is shuv, and what does it mean? to turn around and go the other way. Physically, take your body and go the other direction. In the Greek, it's the word metanoia, and what does it mean? Change your mind, change your thinking, change your will, change your desire, unbend it toward his. We get to practice this in our relationship with others. We have the opportunity to unbend our will toward them too to turn outward, to see the world from their perspective, to move from I, me, my, to you and yours and they and them. Like when we have the opportunity to let negative things about others set in our minds and in our hearts, resist it, take that thought captive, take it to Jesus in prayer and replace it. When someone offends you, Rather than assuming bad motives, what if we assumed that there might be good reasons? Rather than assuming the worst, never talking to them, just letting it ruminate and boil within us, what if we look for the best? What if we just have hard conversations and try to find the truth? I'm telling you, sometimes we can work it out if we just give each other a chance to explain if we would take the time and give someone who offended me an opportunity to respond. Maybe it was bad motives, maybe they're wrong. Then give them the opportunity to confess and ask forgiveness and then forgive. 
Like I, I have found myself bent in this way for the past couple weeks. Then you wanna know how I'm becoming unbent? By studying Philippians four for a sermon I had to write. <laughs> but I had to turn to scripture and a lot of prayer. And as I did that, Paul taught me, rejoice, remember how God has brought you through these moments before and usually you built something up in your mind that wasn't real. (laughs) He reminded me to prayer, to plead with God, to be with me in it, not to think I can do this by myself and then to give him thanks that he has brought me through these moments before. And then he invited me to replace my assumptions with what is true to seek the truth out, to be willing to meet face to face, to confess what had been ruminating in my spirit about this person and ask for forgiveness. I'm telling you when that happened, my heart, my heart feels like it's rotting from within. But God can take that rotten fruit and replace it with something beautiful. As an image bearer of God, broken but redeemed, being restored. When you look down into that still water, whose reflection should you begin to see more and more over time? Not yours, but his. The image of the invisible God, Jesus himself. So I wanna take a minute today, just uh, John, if you would mind um, coming up and if you could just play softly a little bit. I just, I wanna take a minute as we close and just invite all of us to just reflect. To just do a little work. As John is playing softly, just take a minute and look down into that still water or imagine looking into that vice, device in the palm of your hand and just ask yourself the question, what is being reflected back? What's being reflected back at you? Is it more of him or is it more of you? And if it's more of you, then what is it that's making that image of Christ cloudy? What's making it unclear? Like what is it that's infiltrating your mind and your heart? What's occupying your thoughts? What's forming and shaping you? What do you need to let go of? What do you need to take off? What needs to die so that you can truly live? And I can't answer this for you. So I just wanna ask John to play and just take a minute or two, just us. Ask for help and work it out, just you and God, and then we'll pray.
softly and gently, Jesus is calling. Calling, poor sinner, just come home. I shared this at the 9.30 service. We did a song at the end of the service. Um, some of you may have heard it's called The Heart of Worship, and it's not like a great song. I mean, it's a good song, but I mean, it's just a song. The story about it is amazing, though. Um, it was written like in the late 90s at a church in London, and the worship pastor of that church had become really famous. Churches all over the world were doing his music. And worship at that church became about the worship. Do you understand what I mean? It became about the music and the attention that they were getting from it. So that church decided for six months to worship with no music, period. Not that there's anything wrong with music, but at that time and in that place, music had become an idol. And it was not drawing them nearer to the cross, it was turning them inward on themselves. There are some times that we have to take things and make drastic changes because I'm telling you, if anything is drawing us away from the cross and deeper in on ourselves, we gotta kill it. Because that is where we find life and hope and peace. Amen? Let's pray. Father, take what's broken within us and replace it with what is good. Fix these broken images and show us the part that we play so that we can be whole and so that we can be of service to your kingdom here and now until that day when we see you face to face and we are just standing upright, filled with a joy that we can't even imagine. We pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen.